the message today is titled, Just Keep Scrolling. Anybody ever been there where somebody's got their phone out and they're just scrolling through the news feed? And those are specially designed now that they never run out. Like, you can never get to the bottom of your Facebook or Instagram or Twitter feed because once you get down there, they'll just load more stuff. And so I titled the message, Just Keep Scrolling. You'll see why in a few minutes when we get into our gospel story. Uh, But there is a tendency, I think, sometimes to scroll past the needs in life, to scroll past needs in our neighborhood, needs in our community. Maybe we're in line at the grocery store, and on the way out, we realize there was a need we could have met, there was a smile we could have given, there was an interaction we could have had, and we missed it because we were too busy or because we were distracted or because we just weren't paying attention. And it happens all the time with family, with friends. It can happen in church. It can happen in a waiting room at a doctor's office or on the city streets or, you know, that's an area where we have to be paying attention more and more because people are walking with their phone out and their eyes are on their phones, not on what's happening around them. In fact, I'm told that in some places like Singapore and Hong Kong, they're starting to put traffic signals down in the curbs across the street because people were walking into traffic with their face in their phone. And if we're not careful, we'll just keep scrolling. And we hear about, way too often anyway, about people who had their phone in their hand when they were in a tragic car accident and it took their life or somebody else's. And so this idea of just keep scrolling may feel like a new thing. In fact, there are new words that are being created. There's a new word, fubbing, P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G. It's, it's what I did to you at the beginning when people are paying more attention to their phone than the person in front of them, and we just keep scrolling. And it bleeds into other areas of our life. And if we're not careful, we can quickly and easily lose sight of our purpose and lose sight of the purpose that is present in every moment of our lives. There are opportunities for purpose, for God's purpose to be lived out in us and through us. And if we're not careful, we just end up on autopilot where we're just going through life, going through the motions, not paying attention, and we just keep scrolling. Because it's so easy to forget that we have a God-given purpose, that God has a purpose for your life, and not just for your life in the grand picture of things, but for your life in every interaction that you have. Every interaction between another human being is pregnant with purpose and an opportunity to, to advance God's purpose in the world. And I'll give you a little hint into what that purpose is. It has nothing or very, very little to do with your comfort or your preferences or your rights. It has a lot to do with the people around you. It has a lot to do with advancing God's mission in the world, his mission of reconciliation that we can read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says that we are ambassadors for Christ to advance his mission in the world, just as if we were we were serving a foreign, in a foreign country as ambassadors of our homeland. We are there to advance our homeland's purposes in the world. That's the analogy that Paul makes for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so we have 
a purpose. And ironically, I was just going through my Banding Together journal. Uh, We've been talking about these all year, and I've been excited. Several people have gotten a second journal. One person has gotten a third journal, meaning that they've been in this pretty much every single day all year, and they've gone through not one, not two, but three of these journals. And the journals have a chapter of Scripture and a little bit more some, sometimes. Um, sometimes there's some verses from Psalms. And uh, you read that chapter, and then you go through a process where you pick out a Scripture, you write out that Scripture, you make some observations about that Scripture, and then you make some applications to your own life. And God speaks to you through this process. He speaks to me through this process. In fact, this morning, He spoke to me through this process, and He reminded me of the purpose of preaching. That this is not just to give me a half an hour to talk to all of you. This is not just to fill some space between the fourth song and the response song. This is not just to check a box that, oh, I heard a sermon this week. That there is a purpose in preaching. And this is what Paul wrote to Titus. We're in Titus uh, now, if you're doing the, the reading. And he says he identifies himself, and then he identifies his purpose. And his purpose is to further the faith of God's elect... And their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me. And I have found this to be true over and over in my life when I spend time in God's word every day just walking through it one or two chapters at a time. He speaks to me. He speaks to me in powerful ways. And he spoke to me today and reminded me that there is a purpose to my preaching. And there are two purposes that are listed here. To further the faith of God's elect. That's all you. He chose you. He chose every single one of you from before time to be here right now hearing this message. He chose you. And I'm to further the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's why we're here today. We want to learn more about the truth that will lead to godliness in all of our lives, that will lead us to holiness in all of our lives. Did we lose me? Are we still there? You got a little softer for me, but you're good. Okay, then that's fine. And if it helps with the popping, even better. And so that's my purpose in in addressing you today is to further your knowledge of the truth which leads to godliness and to further the faith that will enable us to love well. And to live our lives on purpose. We're uh, coming down the home stretch and we're in week four of a series titled The You Next to You. The You Next to You. That there's, there's you in your chair, but there's a you next to you somewhere nearby. And when you walk out these doors, there's you everywhere you go. And there are people like you that are next to you that are an opportunity for you to share God's love and God's grace. And our big idea throughout the whole series has been that the focus of religion is you. If you're just in a religious system where you do more, you try harder, you try to appease a God or gods, that's what a religion is. There's religions all over the world. They've been around for thousands of years. Then the focus is on you getting your needs met through a God or gods. But Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a personal relationship with the one true God in the person of Jesus Christ. And in that relationship with Jesus Christ, the focus becomes the you next to you. That he wants to reach somebody through you. 
that he wants you to love somebody on his behalf. And nothing moves the heart of God like people. Look around. This is a beautiful sanctuary. This is a beautiful church building in the middle of a beautiful city. And all of these beautiful things are wonderful, but it's the people that are in here that really matter to God. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, the whole world, all of it, all the stuff, and yet he gave himself, he gave his one and only son for people that whoever, whichever people would believe in him. And so how we treat people really matters to God, especially people that might be a little different than us. And so that's been our theme. If you've missed a message, you can find them online. You can go to our website. You can go to our YouTube page. You can go to our Facebook page. There's video. There's audio. There you can catch it on the go. Uh, definitely want to keep up with this one. It's not so much cumulative, but you'll miss a chunk uh, if, you, if you missed a message. And all of that also means that it has never been easier to share the gospel with your friends, with your family, with your coworkers, You can share the messages on Facebook. You can text people a link. You can send somebody a YouTube video. It's very, very simple. In fact, if you're watching right now, I would encourage you to click the share button and share it. Invite somebody to come to church with you right now. But today we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, if you're in the room and you want to grab a Bible, there's Bibles in the seats in front of you, and you can turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And this is a story uh, that I think the Just Keep Scrolling will become evident and why that fits our theme. Uh, But it's a story that kind of gets at the heart of what we've been talking about and answering a question, how far are we really supposed to take this, this whole love thy neighbor thing? How far are we really supposed to take this, this loving the you next to you? And Jesus got a question that set up his opportunity to answer that question. And he, it speaks 2,000 years ago, and it speaks to us today. So I'm going to read the first uh, four or five verses, and then we'll pause, and, and we'll kind of move through it um, in a couple of separate chunks. But on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied, how do you Read it. And he, the expert in the law, answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he, the religious leader, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And that's a great question in the context of religion, right? Religion is at the heart of the question that Jesus first gets. What must I do to be saved? What do I need to do to be saved? That's a very religion-based question. What do I need to do, Jesus? What What boxes do I need to check? What things do I need to do? And the emphasis is on I. What do I need to do to be saved? I want to be saved. I have a need. I have a preference. I prefer to be saved than to not be saved. I recognize that I need to do things. These are all religious thinking. These are all fitting into that mode of do more, try harder, do more, try harder. And so religion says, do, do, do. And, and once that reconciliation or that appeasement has been reached, religion would say, stop. 
Why go beyond what you have to? Do what you need to do. Do the sacrifices. Wash your hands. Do the different things that you need to do. But once you get there, why keep going? Right? I mean, that's just, let's be efficient about all of this. Why go farther than you have to? And that's what this religious leader is saying, basically. is, Well, who's my neighbor? Because I don't want to get carried away. It's expensive. It takes a lot of time. I don't want to go farther than I have to, so who's my neighbor? And yet the gospel says just the opposite. The gospel, and, and Pastor Zach referenced it. We didn't talk about it. We didn't share notes, but he referenced it when he was setting up communion. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the problem with religion. We've all fallen short, every single one of you. And we talk a lot about the good news in church, but there's some bad news that precedes the good news. And if you don't understand how bad the bad news is, you won't realize how good the good news is. Because the bad news is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You failed. Every single one of you. Me too. I failed at religion. I failed at do more, try harder. I didn't do enough. And I was going to be condemned to hell for eternity as a result. And then walks in Jesus. And Jesus cared so much about us that he was willing to complete both sides of the cup. Both sides. Okay. okay. We interrupt this sermon for technical difficulties. Satan knows what's about to happen. He knows somebody's about to get set free, whether it's in the room or it's online. He's trying to do what he can, but he failed once again. You see, Jesus cared so much that he didn't leave my eternity in my hands. He took on both sides of the covenant, both sides of the contract, and he did not stop short, and he didn't say, where's the line? He just took care of all of it for me, for you. And so when Jesus says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, he models it for us. He shows us how. And he's not asking the question, who is my neighbor? How far do I have to go? When do I get to stop? When am I done? When can I punch out? The lawyer wants to know who he's responsible. He wants to know where his duty ends. He doesn't want to overdo it. And that shows us the difference between religion and relationship. Christianity is a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit living within us. It's powerful. It's beautiful. It's mysterious. And so in response to this question, Jesus tells a story. And I always say, watch out. Watch out when Jesus starts to tell a story because he's about to make a really great point. Anytime he answers a question with a story, we know that he's going to give us some insight into how things really work. And so in verses 30 through 35, we read this. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, 
I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, there's a couple of things that would have been immediately evident to the person and the audience that Jesus was speaking to that may not be quite so evident to us today. First, uh, he talks about a priest and a Levite. Now, priests and Levites were both of the tribe of Levi, but the priests were from the line of Aaron. So way back with Moses in the Old Testament, and they were setting up with the 12 tribes were leaving, all the Levites were given the religious duties, and they were to take care of the temple and take care of the synagogues and so on. And out of the Levites was carved uh, uh, the lineage of Aaron, which were to be the priests, which was a higher elevation or a higher class. So maybe a modern translation of this would be Pastor Mark was on his way to church coming down 57th Street. That's the priest. That's maybe a little higher positional, okay? And then the second person, the Levite, is somebody who still has religious duties, religious workers. And so we might say, and then Kim came along behind him a little bit later on. Kim being our worship leader this morning, a volunteer in the path or in the in the in the role that she served was more of a Levite's role. It would have been men, but bear with me. Come along. Come along. And both of them passed by a Samaritan. Now, Samaritan, if you're not aware, Samaritans and Jews really hated each other. There was a big rift. This was uh, biblical racism at its finest, some nationalism taking place between the Samaritan people that were sort of a half half Jewish, and then the Jewish people that were the pure uh, people of God in their minds. And so they didn't have much to do with each other. And this pops up a number of times in the Gospels. We see this rift between Jews and Samaritans. And so Jesus really drives the point home by saying, basically, the context indicates that the priest and the Levite walked by a fellow Israelite and wouldn't have anything to do with him. And we don't necessarily know why. We can cut them a little bit of slack, right? Maybe they were running behind. You know, maybe they were late to where they were going. Maybe they were concerned that, you know, they might get unclean. If this person is dead, then the law at the time said if you touch a dead person, now you're unclean. And there was a whole other ritual that they would have to go through. And so if they're on their way to lead worship and they touch a dead person, now they can't lead worship. So it it could have been complicated. It might have been dangerous. Maybe they were worried it was a setup. Maybe you've been in that when you've seen somebody pulled over on the side of the road and you've heard the horror stories about about people that set people up to pull over and then they do something to them. So there were all kinds of reasons, and we can cut them a little bit of slack. But we can also take the main lesson of this story, and that's the lesson that Jesus is trying to make. And that's the lesson that basically says loving like Jesus can be costly and it can be inconvenient. It's not always going to fit on your timetable. It's not always going to be, quote, unquote, safe. It might be costly. It might be inconvenient. And yet that's the purpose to which we were saved, was to love the people around us, to love the you next to you. And so the good Samaritan loved those who hated him. The good Samaritan loved this person that would probably have nothing to do with him. And in so doing, it kind of represents maybe the point that Jesus was trying to make that would apply to us today is that it's often non-believers who are kinder to other non-believers than Christians. Christians get a bad rap sometimes for being all about the things that we're against and not for the people that God is for. And the Good Samaritan puts himself in a very dangerous and uncomfortable situation. He has to leverage that tension, and then maybe we do too, between staying clean and loving sinners, that sometimes you get a little dirty when you're loving sinners, and you have to be wise about it, 
If you struggle with alcohol, then maybe a bar ministry is not the first on your list. But maybe there's something else that you could participate in. Or maybe you have a spiritual gift and a lot of of Christianity, a lot of following Christ and following and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit is figuring out what are your spiritual gifts and then employing those spiritual gifts in order to love the people around you. And we see that the Good Samaritan was inconvenienced. He inconvenienced himself and he spent some of his own money. Did you pick up on that? He gave him two silver coins. And there's a footnote in my Bible and there's a footnote in my study Bible that indicate that those two silver coins would represent a denarius. And maybe you've heard about a denarius before. This was the currency of the day that was kind of a floating currency. It represented a day's wages. And so if you worked for somebody for a full day, you would receive a denarius. And that was to compensate you for the work that you had done. So I did a little bit of math. And the minimum wage right now is $9.10 in South Dakota. So two denarius would represent 145 bucks at the very minimum. You can divide your annual salary by 250, and that'll just about give you a denarius. There's about 250 working days in a given year. And so that would tell you what a denarius is for you. And so he, he put himself in a dangerous, inconvenient, uncomfortable situation and spent his own money. This is what loving like Jesus looks like. Not on our own terms, necessarily. It wasn't on the Samaritan's own terms. He went above and beyond. He went the extra mile. And do you know where that phrase comes from? Going the extra mile? We use it all the time. It's kind of second nature today, but it's actually rooted in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, if somebody compels you to go with them one mile, go a second. Go the extra mile. And we see the Samaritan going the extra mile. And one of the big questions that's at the heart of all of this is, do you trust him? Do you trust him to be inconvenienced? Do you trust him to put yourself in maybe a potentially somewhat dangerous situation? Do you trust him to be uncomfortable and to spend your own money and realize trust him that if you're if you're being generous to the you next to you, that you're still going to be able to make rent at the end of the month? Do you trust him? And I think the lesson is be generous. Serve and love and give generously with your time and your talents and your treasures. Be wise. But be generous. Be a good steward of everything that God has entrusted to you. And so good stewardship doesn't mean that you bankrupt yourself, but it also doesn't mean that you store up treasures here on earth and have poverty in heaven. And Jesus really drives this point home in verses 36 and 37 when he asks the question now. He's told the story, so he flips the question back to this religious leader, this expert in the law. And he says, which of these three, the the Levite, the priest, or the Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He just says, the one who had mercy on him. To which Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And our bottom line today is zeroed in with Jesus. That the, the wrong question is the question religion asks, who is my neighbor? Religion asks, who is my neighbor? But Christianity asks, to whom can I be a neighbor? To whom should I be a neighbor, not where does my responsibility end, but God, what are the opportunities and what is your divine purpose for my life? To whom can I be a neighbor? And it's interesting how the lawyer, instead of saying the Samaritan, he says the one 
who showed mercy, the one who had mercy on him. He actually clarifies the lesson. He clarifies the point that Jesus was making when he says that because mercy means to be moved with compassion. To show mercy is to take pity upon. It's to take action for another person. It's not just speaking about a feeling, a warm, fuzzy feeling. Perhaps the priest felt that way. Perhaps the Levite felt that way as they walked by. Maybe they felt bad. Doggone it, that's terrible. I hate that. I hate that that guy fell into the hands of robbers. I hate that he was beaten and left for dead. Mercy is moved with compassion. Mercy and love don't just know something or feel something, they do something. Loving like Jesus doesn't just know something, it does something. And there are people at Linwood who don't just know something, they do something. That's why one of our core values here that's foundational to everything that happens around us is caring for those in need, caring for our family of families. As we strive to be and increasingly become a healthy family of families, we create space for people to belong and we serve one another in love. And there are opportunities all around us. And it's not just within our church family. There are opportunities all around us in our family of origin. There are opportunities in our neighborhood. There are opportunities in our schools and our workplaces to love and to be sensitive and to ask God and to pray to the Spirit to show me what can I do this week. Not who is my neighbor, but to whom can I be a neighbor. Because when Jesus says go and do likewise, he's saying go and have mercy. Go and have mercy on the you next to you. Go and have mercy on the you next to you who may not look like you or act like you or think like you or vote like you. Go and have mercy on them. Go and be moved with compassion and take pity on them. Go and have mercy on the you next to you who maybe doesn't have mercy on you when they get the same opportunity. That, that we're not just throwing boomerangs and it's not karma that if I'm good to people, people will be good to me. It's I'm going to go be good in Jesus' name. And I'm going to take the opportunity that's given to me. And I'm going to respond in faith to those opportunities. And we can go and have mercy on the you next to you even if they might reject your kindness. Even if they might put a hand up and not allow you to serve them in love. Because I believe that God will be with you when you go and have mercy on the you next to you. I believe he'll be smiling as he walks with you, as you keep step with his spirit. Because our bottom line, religion asks, who is my neighbor? But Christianity asks, to whom will I be a neighbor? And so, like Jesus, I want to leave you with a couple of questions. And the first one is, which question will you ask this week? Which question will you ask this week? Will you ask, to whom can I be a neighbor? Or will you take it back a notch and just say, who is my neighbor? Where does my obligation end? And the second question is, not just to whom can I be a neighbor, but to whom will you be a neighbor this week? Has God put somebody on your heart already? Somebody that you know, maybe you missed an opportunity in the last seven days to be a neighbor. And God is bringing them to mind and reminding you of your purpose. And don't just think out there. It might be someone in your own house. It might be someone in your own family. It might be somebody in our church family. But I want to encourage you to respond in faith to that question 
and to write down a name of somebody in the margin of your Bible that you can be a neighbor to this week. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your unique ability, Jesus, to tell us a story that really drives home the point that you want to make and reminds us of our purpose. I pray, Lord, that that the faith of those who are following you has been strengthened, has been encouraged, has grown. I pray, Lord, that we will be a people who respond in faith. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear your voice. Help us to make the most of the opportunities in our path. That we can love like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.